Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Almost certain that the majority of the people who are listening to this podcast will have seen a photograph of Pope Francis looking absolutely class, class. Mm. class. In a very sleek white winter puffer, <laughs> Vatican gooses, if you want to put it, call it out like this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast. I am news correspondent Zara King. I'm joined in studio by my fellow news correspondent Richard Chambers. Hey. Hello. <laughs> And political correspondent Gavin Ryan. Hello, Zara. How are you? Gav, you've just come to us from Leinster House where there has been a motion of no confidence in the government. Majority government survives. Spoiler alert Shocker. if you haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, if, if you haven't caught up with the news, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Go, go back and check last, last year's <laughs> news season finale. Um, but what go- brought this about? <clears throat> government survives motion of confidence. Government still has a majority, so it's hardly really all that surprising. Mm. Uh, what brought it about is obviously, as we were discussing last week, there is such national unease about the lifting of the evictions ban that the Labour Party said, well, if you're not going to take on board our constructive idea, which they say is to maintain the evictions ban until there have been four successive months of the number of homeless people falling, um, they said, well, if you're not going to take that on, then that's it. We have no time for you and we're going to try and sack you. And a motion of no confidence is how you do that. Mm. And the standard parliamentary practice is that if one party puts down a motion of no confidence, the government basically supersedes it and tries to set the agenda itself by tabling a motion of confidence in itself, which is partly unnecessary, but partly just means they've got more speaking time. It just means they can present it more assertively. Um, And that was debated for two and a half hours, uh, which was obviously largely coloured by the discussion of the housing issue. Mm. It's a motion of confidence in the government, so you can raise any issue you like. But it was largely covered by housing. And it has to be said that even the Karen Corla, who often has to remain in character for Mm. the stewardship of all of these debates, even at the end of it, he was like, this has been pretty disgraceful. Oh, let's be honest, Richard. The conduct of the debate and the any level of nous or there was very little decorum or very little material illustration of how practically urgent this is for a lot of people. Mm. And there was a lot of shouting across the four and very little being offered by way of solutions. Interesting. So that's his definition of why it was a disgrace, was that there was too much shouting and roaring and a bit of heckling mm. and all that sort of stuff. Not, not keeping up with the decorum of the house. Gotcha. Kind of stuff, yeah. I would say it was a disgrace for another reason. And that was the lack of respect for the urgency of the matter. Yeah. The level of worry that is out there for hundreds and thousands of families across the country who've already been handed notices of termination. Mm. And it felt at times, and I'm angry about it, it felt at times like it was the worst open mic night at the worst Mm -hmm. comedy club (laughs) in the world. And you had pathetic, I'm using that word, you had pathetic attempts at humour in this situation and crap barbs being thrown at each other across Leinster House. Oh, name names. Are we allowed name names? Uh, no, well, I'm not. Sorry. I don't think they need to, but there was, one, there was one instance where a TD for the government was talking about, um, with, was, with regard specifically for the eviction ban, mm. talking about it's like giving free sweets to children. Yeah. We're talking about roofs over heads. 
mm. in a housing crisis. A housing crisis which has prevailed for at least five years now and is at its worst time ever. And Well, just to add, sorry, context that again, just that it was like giving free sweets to children, that it's fun on the short term, but it's not healthy on the long yeah, term. Po- popular in the short and that term, was but the, does nothing for the greater That was project. the comparison yeah. to the eviction ban. We, we, that, is that, is, does that sound like a comparison to you? As, as an no. analogy, it's questionable. The, the idea that you're trivialising something like making people homeless by likening it to giving free sweets to kids. Like, it's one thing to say that what we are, what we propose to do is best in the long term, irrespective mm-hmm. of the small short term harm. Yes, exactly. exactly. You, you can make that argument and that, that's the, the crux of the government's argument. That's the argument mm. the government made last week when it won its counter motion. It's the argument it's making today and will have been making again before this airs, will have been making in the debate on the Sinn Féin motion, trying to extend the evictions ban again. That's fine. But the parallel with a sweet shop or giving out free sweets, for sweets to kids as being short term popular, but not good in the long run. Is is a slightly insensitive one. And it was to put slightly, it like, though. But like, it was, I'm trying to be trying to be. Yeah, it was, but like, it was actually, actually horrifying when I heard it. I was quite, I was shocked so much. We we were all texting at the time, and I mm. just I couldn't. I also think the person who delivered that line isn't an inexperienced politician. This is somebody who's been in politics for quite some time and knows better than to make comparisons like that. Yeah, and yes, I mean, I know that you tweeted Gav saying that oh, people in the opposition benches were a little bit shocked with that. Were people in government not shocked with that? Uh, well, the, or is it was, just a it was, yay us boo it them? It's kind of hard to. It, I mean, often these confidence motions become yay us boo them because if you think about the what is at stake, um, strictly speaking, when you're talking about a confidence motion, it's do you sack the government or not? Do you call a general election or not? And it can become very binary in those circumstances where people go, yay, the government, boo everyone else. We are the only ones who have a practical plan. The, the opposition could not be trusted. Or why would you plunge the country into months of uncertainty because there'd be an election and it might take a while to form a government again. So that, that's the way it is thought of. Um, to answer your direct question as to whether there was any gasps on the government benches, um, it was difficult to tell, certainly on the the shot within camera, the, the few colleagues of the deputy concerned didn't offer any cider. Oh, yeah. They didn't, like, Bryce didn't bulge or go. N- n- never mind that though, Gav. Really? Never mind that though, Gav. Like, government TDs are a gossipy bunch. They mm. will text about anything which is said mm. in the doll chamber. Yeah. Do they have I, I got say? some texts about other things, but not, the, not about that. Interesting. No. Interesting. There, there didn't appear to be any immediate consternation among government TDs about... No, and to be honest, I was watching it live. There was, like, it literally came out and passed over like as if it was nothing. I was yeah. like, did I, I, I literally was like... Did I did I mishear that? I was like, oh, what, did he just say that? And again, just to underline the point, as Gavin, you said as well, it's not about whether or not you're politically opposed to or in favour of the eviction ban or its relative merits. The government clearly of the view that politically and they believe that this is the best way of dealing with housing is to go along with this, um, with, with ending this ban and, and, you know, you know, in the hope that, you know, more landlords will mm. survive and thrive in the market, all that sort of stuff, and that there will therefore be more places for people to live in the long term. But it's about the trivialisation and the fact of using it as some sort of a, a joking mm. matter at a time when there, we've seen, you know, over the last number of weeks since it was announced that this was going to happen, this is the most controversial decision this government is going to make. And there's real human impact. We talked about this exactly last week, mm. that we often lose sight, or that politics seems to lose sight of the actual impact of the things that they squabble about in the doll yeah. really, really churlishly mm. and really, really childishly. Yeah. And again, this is just happens again. Well, and we've, this isn't the first time, it's not going to be the last time I think we talk about how poorly things are conducted in the doll. If you were sitting at home with an eviction note on your kitchen table and you were watching that debate, I think you would be absolutely devastated. You'd yeah. be like, there's nobody's going to help you, me. You really would feel like 
uh, with all the best will in the world, you would feel like your concerns are being trivialised or being made into a, a punchline. Like you said, the open mic night, that it's all yeah. about the zinger that might get your sentence on the news because it's it's a very competitive field trying and to make the cut for a news I one. would also say as well that th- to be fair, there were definitely, and I, we were texting, there were some TDs who did make very, yes, very considered true. and very measured contributions. But unfortunately for those individuals, because there was so much noise and shouting and worrying that the kind of considered and actually, you know, informative contributions sort of, they, they lost their place because there was so much chaos happening around yeah, them. There, there they were very much the exception to the rule yeah. and and there was very little, if anything, by way of new ideas being put forward. Like, for example, you know, when I mentioned the Labour Party's, what they saw as their constructive proposal mm. to, to extend this until you've had four months of homelessness falling. I'm not even sure if in any of their speaking contributions today, if any Labour TDs made that point again, that they were mm. none of them even said, there is one possible fix here or one possible halfway house. Even something as that's already been out there wasn't put on the agenda again no. today. It was everyone shouting about what yeah. we have done, what we intend to do, what's going on. Your government is heartless. No, our government cares more than you do. Mm. It was all just a bit a bit tawdry. Um, and speaking, by the way, of um, some of the trivialisation, um, we had, you had in particular, Richard, because you, you brought the stats to us last week about the paucity of listings on daft.ie, the country's foremost property listings website. Yeah. And we had a little bit of listener feedback from people who thought that it was a slightly crude metric because they were pointing out that other websites exist. I think it was one person, in fairness. But... Well, one person did this, but this often does happen whenever you mention daft.ie as a, mm. as a metric because it is, as you say, it's probably the one website which people have the most mm. look through at what's actually available in the rental market and also there are other sites available are? but let's be honest they have the exact same properties on them so what's the what's the difference well, this is the what, what, what does it add what does it add to say people have, have not in, uh, not taken on board the idea that because all of these sites want to be the one stop shop if a property is not already listed on many of them, then a duplicate entry will end up appearing yeah. on a lot of these sites anyway because they want to be the most comprehensive listing. It's just, to me, it feels like you don't want to hear about how difficult it is that you will try anything in your, you know, your your, your arsenal to mm-hmm. try and deflect from the situation. If you're like, there's actually other websites as opposed to daft.e. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's still no properties. So like, what's what's the point in making that More point? websites than properties. Yeah, almost. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, sorry, going back to the, the Labour motion just really quickly, I know the government last week at the time were sort of accusing Labour of playing politics with all of this and saying that they were wasting time. It's difficult not to see that as being how it was borne out today, really, I, isn't it? I always think that playing politics is a, is a weird charge uh, to put at politicians. And sorry, like, and before all, you continue, right? public policy are, are, are playing politics. Like, okay, fair enough. Yes. Yeah. The comment itself is a bit yeah. weird. But so I think in some ways as well, could you argue that it was an opportunity to have an open air conversation about different things and to vent certain issues. Unfortunately, it just transcended yeah. into chaos. Well, but and, and again, this, this is again part of the, the, the downfall or the downside of motions of confidence because mm. even if it's triggered by a specific act like your stance on the eviction ban, because the, the question is as open-ended as should we sack the government, mm. then you can put anything and everything towards the discussion. So, for example, you had Michal Martin closing the debate being like, you know, didn't hear anyone from the opposition talking about how we had one of the best performing uh, vaccination rates in Europe and how this government oversaw all of that, which is a thing that the government might defend its record on, but a thing which is slightly adrift from the news agenda as it stands today and the primary the, the concern. Pur- I mean, the purpose the of the most concern of house. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was raised also, because of the eviction ban. Yeah. That's what's that's what matters at this point in time. The government can 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 use any other form it wants to talk about vaccination rates during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Mm. 
be my guest. Mm. But like, we've got more people in this country than ever before. We've got all these other metrics. We ran a surplus of five billion last year. One thing, plenty of good things that the government can say, but just whether now is the time that they'll get an audience for it. Yeah, one thing during the week that did catch my eye, and just it again points to the lack of urgency, the lack of action around the housing crisis, was um, the LDA report uh, on relevant public land. Uh, and headlines, of course, blared that, you know, 60,000 houses could be built, mm. which sounds like tremendous news mm. at a time of huge shortage of houses. We should probably just deconstruct for a moment and explain what the LDA is. The LDA, the Land Development Agency, effectively a, st- a state body which was set up four and a half years ago with the concept of it being the manager, effectively, of all publicly owned land and mm. that would ultimately oversee the construction of housing on that land. So for the first time ever, there would be a single state body that says, this is the portfolio of all the land the the, the government owns and this is where we can consider building public houses and public land for everyone's good. And and the key sentence in all of that is four and a half years ago. How's that going, Richard? Well, um, not a single house has come of this as of yet in those four and a half years. But what they did provide was a report which has been um, which was the subject of that headlines? And I, look, I mean, I, there's no, there's nothing against the headlines. The headlines are accurate in that, yes, yeah, sixty thousand homes could be built. It just so happens that sixty thousand homes won't be built uh, because of the nature of this and the timeline. And these, um, the, the land in question. Some of this is some of the most valuable land that state agencies own. Some of it is impossible. Broadstone bus depot is included in this. Mm. Um, I don't know how you're going to turn those into you know, homes in, in a very short where period of time. Where the buses go. Exactly, where the buses go. But like, it mentioned... The, the, the mint in Sandyford, where, where we produce banknotes which are circulated around Europe. Like the central where bank... Does the, where does the money go? Well, but the, where's the money made if you hand okay. over the mint site, you know? So but it's just... So you're saying that basically this is sort of like a great white hope that's never going to come to pass. It's not that it's never going to come to pass, but 60,000... T- like, reaching that figure of 60,000 probably is never going to come mm-hmm. to pass. And if you're even going to build 10,000 of those homes, those homes are only going to come... It's going to be longer than five years. Mm. It's probably going to be longer than 10 years. Probably might be 15 years for some of these. Um, it just is not... It just... It, it it points out a lack of movement. At a t- like, and again, the housing crisis is not new. We've been talking about the housing, housing crisis. I've been reporting the housing crisis. You've been reporting the housing crisis. You've been since reporting the housing crisis. Like since that. the very get-go. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. been the best part of a decade. And you have the, this this revolutionary agency, which Dara O'Brien in 2021 uh, said could free up the living space for 114,000 families, has delivered a report and not a single house. And, and, and moreover, sorry to interrupt you, sir, moreover, that it as yet doesn't have the power to compulsory. Can't do anything. It can't do anything. So, so this so is if, the point. So if, for example, if you could make a compelling argument that all right, the, the buses from Broadstone can go park somewhere else instead in future. Or, or uh, the banknotes can get printed somewhere else. The horses in Leopardstown. The horses in Leopardstown can go and race somewhere else. Um, if you could find an alternative place for all of those, the LDA still does not have the power to say, you know what, your concern, the concerns of the racehorses or where the buses go at night time are secondary to <clears throat> producing housing. You can't compel those yeah. other agencies to hand over the land. So what they've done in four and a half years is produce a catalogue of land owned by various bits of the state that those bits of the state might very well like to hang on to. So not only is there no guarantee you won't build housing on it, there's, there's no guarantee that the current owners of the land would be prepared to let it go. What if you're in Rodeo and decide all that land beside Houston Station? No, we want to hang on to that because we'd like to make another, an interchange or a signal point or something in future. They're entitled to make the argument they can hang on to the land. So four and a half years on, 
it's, it's kind of hard to, to really Richard's point to anything. So, I like your face as well. like, I mean, what, <laughs> are we, so what are we all doing here? Oh, no, I know. I totally agree with you. I, the other thing I was going to say to you was, on foot of that, then how does Ivana Batchik reckon they're going to build, what is it, a million houses in 10 years? Well, they weren't going to build a million houses in 10 years. They were going to deliver to a million deliver, houses okay. in 10 years. So this was, the Labour Party conference was, was at the weekend and at the keynote um, policy proposal of her leader speech was deliver a million homes in 10 years. Now, that's half a million builds Mm-hmm. Um, and half a million renovations. Uh, but I spoke to Ivana Batchelor. The first interview she gave w- was with me for radio afterwards. And I asked her, well, hang on, are there half a million empty or, or void or derelict houses in Ireland that you could do up over 10 years? And she said, well, no, the half a million includes retrofits. Um, so I said, so it includes... So they're not new houses. houses they're exist. houses that people already live in. Well, this is it. Not only do they already exist, but they're houses that are currently occupied. So... There, there's definitely a good environmental reason to go ahead with retrofits to, to lower the BER ratings. That's a good thing, yeah. But if you're putting mm-hmm. that forward as a means to solve a housing crisis, you are turning a house that already exists into a slightly more energy efficient house which still already exists. So now, you're not really chipping away at the housing shortage by doing so. Would some of this include, as our colleague Hannah Murphy reported on over the weekend, goes to states where you have like full estates of vacant properties. Would, she, would that be, do you think, part well, of that? Well, they certainly don't need vision? building. Do they even need renovating? I don't know. Like, it I is, guess some of them have just been left sitting there. They're rich. Oh, in good yeah, see, the one, the yeah. one that um, Hannah was reporting on in, in, in I think it was outside Tullow in County Carlow. Yeah. Yeah. These are, like, even the developer there was like, these are ready to go. Uh, Paul Byrne was reporting on a similar situation yeah, there only yeah, last week. Line. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, these are all, like, these are all small numbers of houses but at this point, but for one family, it would make a huge difference. Exactly, life changer for mm-hmm. one exactly. Family, you know, but like we're talking about how slow it is to develop even a single house through the Land Development Agency. I mean, turning over one ghost to say that's like Cork could, could turn around fifteen houses. Well, and yeah. it's worth pointing out as well that money isn't necessarily a concern right now because I, I just mentioned you know oh. the good things that the government could say about itself. The mm-hmm. government ran a budget surplus of five point one billion euro last year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you consider that if the state already owns loads of land. To build a three-bed semi-D on state land might cost about a quarter of a million. So having five billion, you could no. deliver 20,000 houses. Now, if you had the, the, the manpower, that's obviously a shortage. But if manpower was no concern, you could deliver 20,000 houses in one year with all that money. The money's there. Just it's kind of hard to imagine where all the delays are sometimes, you know. Zara, I think everybody was shocked um, on Tuesday with the release of the independent review group uh, into the Defence Forces following on, of course, from all of the work that's been done by the Women of Honour group into the treatment of women in the Defence Forces Mm -hmm. for many, many years. Um, It outlined a number of systemic failures. We'll get into some of those. But what's really been the response from the Defence Forces since that? Because there was such a huge reaction and Mm -hmm. outpouring at the release of that report. But what's the Defence Forces have to say about it? Well, it's interesting today, just as they're coming to air, Richard, a statement was issued by the Defence Forces uh, this afternoon, basically saying that they are aware of a number of calls that have been made to the Rape Crisis Centre today um, following that publication of the report yesterday. So look, you could say, look, that's no surprise. But I think the fact that they're putting it in writing and they're issuing a statement on it, they're acknowledging that there are a lot of people now who are coming forward looking for help. Um, just for people who haven't been following this very closely, well, I would say the vast majority of cases do affect women. It's important to note that men are affected by this as well. And we've yep. had a couple of people get in touch saying, look, don't forget the men that have been, uh, have come forward and spoken to the report as well. Um, one of the things that I would say to people, if you're coming to a totally cold and you're not totally following what's been happening in the latest on this, the Thornish to Micheál Martin, who's also the Minister for Defence, said yesterday that this is a watershed moment just in terms of how this will change the face of the Defence Forces going forward. Um, the Women of Honour, as you say, have been telling their story to Katie Hannan initially in the last couple of years. 
everything that's in this report, we have heard more or less examples of this in the past, but to see it now in black and white is a quite a different thing. Mm. It's so comprehensive. Um, it's yeah. so comprehensive. And, you know, the insights into the type of behaviour and the fact that if you were to report any of that, of that behaviour, the consequences that you would yes. face as a staff member, yeah. it's clear from the report and it states it very plainly that it is not a safe uh, and supportive working environment and a place where people felt that they could uh, come to work, feel safe and air any grievances if there were grievances to that, be had. That I think is the crucial point, Zara, yeah. because I mean, if you talk about some of the behaviours and the, you know, the, the, the things which have been outlined in the support, you know, mm-hmm. female personnel were raped and sexually assaulted, yeah. had their drinks spiked, photographs secretly taken of them when they showered, sexual attacks took place on overseas missions in barracks, naval boats and other locations. Mm-hmm. Female members were also sidelined and targeted for having babies. There's also a litany of instances of physical abuse in terms of people being kicked while exercising, kicked uh, while parading, kicked in the stomach while doing um, push-ups. And the fact is, as this report has outlined, and as you were hearing yesterday, Mm. the implications and the repercussions for women and people who are subject to this behaviour from bringing this forward for the most part, was mm-hmm. really, really poor. It was. And people didn't report it because they said, what was the point? That was the bottom line is that they didn't come forward because of what, what was the point? And even when they were asked to engage with this report on an anonymous basis, people were still actually afraid to tell even their still, full... Yeah, when, because, when it didn't involve going to yeah, your commanding officer. Or yeah, because whatever. they actually didn't feel safe to do that. And that speaks to the culture that, that is within the Defence Forces. Um, and it's even sort of like the fact that you would be held back, that your career would be ruined effectively if you were to make complaints. Now, I think another thing that's really important for people to remember today, and like I said this yesterday again on the news, I just think we need to remember, right, this is a report that gives us details of of the toxic culture and what's happening in the Defence Forces. But the perpetrators of that harassment continue to work today within the Defence Forces. Mm. They continue to get up and go to work today. Like yesterday I kept thinking if you were working in an office and you had maybe been a victim of some of this harassment and your perpetrator was sitting two desks over from you and this news coverage is circulating and this report is out, what kind of environment are you working in? Like you really have to spare a thought for those individuals Mm. at the moment. And I put that to the Thornishty yesterday at the press conference and I said, you know, do you worry about, uh, you know, things like this will cause, you know, tensions further now in, in the coming days. Um, do you worry about the safety of individuals? And, you know, it's certainly uh, the case from the Taunashers' perspective that if there was any uh, criminal case to be heard, that people should be reporting to Guard the Shia He says that uh, they have liaised with Gardaí. They know that these complaints are going to start coming forward. But in the interim period, it's going to be a rough couple of months for people working within the Defence Forces. And cultural change has to happen from the top down. Mm. And that's, that's actually the question. Be a challenge. That's the question I have about this is mm. that, and this isn't to comment on anybody specifically about this, but the people who are now in a position of leadership within the Defence Forces are people by nature of how their careers go in the Defence Forces. It's mm. by promotion. It's by long careers in the Defence Forces. So the people who will have to lead the change in the Defence Forces are people who have been in the Defence Forces and around that culture for decades. And have never mm-hmm. called it out or appeared to do anything material. To well, it's not even specifically just to say that this is something which is like a, a mark against them. Mm. But obviously, every, like you are part of a culture if you're working in this organisation. Lieutenant, Lieutenant General Sean Clancy, who is the Chief of the Defence Forces, has been very strong in what he has said about this. But he has a huge challenge yeah. in trying to undo a culture, um, which, I mean, the report talks about the masculinity of the culture yeah. and why that can be a very negative thing. But that is a huge job if you're going to trust the people 
are the, the, the trust in terms of trying to unwind this culture which is set in in the defence of horses for many, many years mm-hmm. is going to have to come from within. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know you want to read a couple of lines out of the, the, the introduction to the reports mm-hmm. are, but there's, there's two quick points which are just kind of worth reaffirming. The first being that part of the reason why people would think that there's no value in raising their complaints is because the nature of a military or any kind of disciplined force is that when you have concerns, you raise them directly to your commanding officer. You go directly up the chain of command. And in many of the instances, as we heard, uh, and the publication of the report, the people to whom you directly answer to were often party to any kind of bullying or abuse or marginalisation that you were. Mm. So you can't go and complain to the perpetrator about the victimhood that you're experiencing. Uh, And secondly... Uh, and this was part of the reason why even the press conference yesterday was so partly delayed because the cabinet, as I understand it, spent a lot of time poring over this where ordinarily when they are presented with evidence of abuse or systematic systematic marginalisation like this, often it's historical. They're talking about yeah. instances that are a little bit mm. in the past, whereas now they are presented with a live case where this culture exists to the present That's day. That's a good point, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were all, as I understand it, around the table, they were all just slightly flummoxed that they've a lot of those people have been a cabinet for 10 years plus and they've seen a lot of pretty damning and scathing reports in front of them and this was still a level beyond what they'd ever seen before and part of that was because there was no hiding behind the idea that this was a different time yeah. this, this is present day and that is the problem, isn't it? Like that is the problem for the people who have to continue to go to work every day, knowing that their their perpetrator of their harassment is working alongside them, and they have to sort of be a part of feeling somewhat hopeful and optimistic. And I would say, by the way, Women of Honor yesterday were they absolutely welcomed this report, and they're really you know um, pleased to see that the progress towards a statutory inquiry is now happening. I just want to read you some of the comments from the Thornity yesterday because I felt that. Um, Actually, Michael Martin was very strong on it, I have to say, yesterday, in fairness. There was mm. the credit where that was due. He absolutely is adamant that this will not happen on his watch. And he's, you know, certainly uh, put, put it to that it's going to be um, a watershed moment. Um, he said, look, to be frank, notwithstanding the work of the very good people who serve, um, this report makes clear that the culture and work environment that exists within the Defence Forces in 2023 is simply and entirely unacceptable. Bullying, misogynistic behaviour and any form of sexual misconduct have no place in any workplace in this country. While this report addresses both men and women's experiences, the experience of many women, in particular within the Defence Forces, has been appalling. At one point, the report summarises that women are viewed as occupying a low status in the defence forces, Mm. that almost that women were viewed as being sort of their presence was an inconvenience. Mm. And when you speak to women of honour, they will absolutely echo that, that, you know, them even joining the ranks and and being there was almost problematic for some of their their superiors and some of their colleagues. Yeah, that there was the atmosphere that this was a man's world. Absolutely. And that they were almost, you know, trespassers in it, that they were an inconvenience, that they were barely tolerated within that world. And this is something, again, and it's it's worth saying, you mentioned at the start, Zara, a lot of this stuff has been brought to light in some ways before, whether it be by Women of Honour, whether it be by Tom Clonan as well, who obviously did this before, Mm -hmm. whether it be even by the report by the Commission of the Defence Forces, which we talked about last year, which was talking about how you know, you need to modernise the force. There was criticism and deep criticisms about that culture, that very, very old-fashioned masculine culture within the Defence Forces and why that is going to hold back the Defence Forces in terms of retaining staff and recruiting staff going into the future. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a a point worth reflecting on is that people want to be proud of the Defence Forces. We often hear about, you know, know, politicians and people in the public eye saying that, you know, the Defence Forces are the best of us Mm. and that, you know, they're there and they're representing their country. 60 years of unbroken peacekeeping for the UN. Absolutely. As a badge of honour for the state, they love to hold up the Defence Forces as something which is our ideal. And this just goes to show that 
beneath the surface of the Defence Forces for so many people who would have had the pride of their lives to wear the tricolour on their shoulders Mm. and represent their country at home and abroad in defence of the state. It was a culture and it was an organisation that uh, punished them for their gender, that punished them for who they were and that did not do enough to root out people who abused them uh, and who made their lives a living hell. Some of the examples of harassment, just want to take you through a couple of these. Um, you know, like one of them was during training, the language used towards females and certain staff members was atrocious. Um, like I, I couldn't repeat some of the words, but think of the worst curse word that you know, and that is the word we are talking about. Um, when reaching up to a shelf, a sergeant made a comment about the size of my rear in a room containing two subordinates. This one daily, there is always some comment about my sex or accusations of how I achieved positively in my career. It must, of course, be because I have breasts or performed some sort of sexual act. Every day, I just like it is just absolutely beyond unacceptable. And, and it's and it's like, so beyond it's, it. it's supposed to be the best of us. Mm. It's it's yeah. the thing that that is is held up as as the the totem of of positive Irishness. So so what is you you mentioned Zara, mm. um investigation into the into the, into into all this. So what what is actually the path forward now to try and yeah? Like, I mean, the, the statutory inquiry then? will be a huge part of it, and it'll be about moving forward. And like I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like asking the question about whether or not, you know, that term heads will roll, like there's still real no clarity or answer on that. I don't know, you know, hopefully the statutory inquiry will get to a point where we'll identify, you know, because even the idea of asking the Thornton yesterday, will anyone be suspended pending the outcome of the inquiry? But the truth is actually they don't have people clearly identified because of the nature of the reporting process. So at the moment, that's not totally clear. Um, the Thornton says he wants the inquiry set up um, at, as, at, as early as possible, basically, as soon mm. as possible. In terms of though, the terms of reference, they're going to have further engagement with women of honour and other people affected by it. So I think that all has to be obviously ironed out, Gavin. That's and, a huge and, process. And if you're talking well. about a statutory inquiry, it's open-ended. Does it mean a yeah. commission of investigation, which is supposed to be quicker, but happens behind closed doors? Mm. evidence isn't heard in public or is it a tribunal like the mm. Disclosures Tribunal we had mm. a couple of years ago to investigate the allegations of Morris McCabe and will it be public but therefore take a little longer to do and with all the technicalities and the legalities that go with that as well so we're, we're far from at the bottom of it and, and if there is a question of identifying individual fault with individuals and whether heads will roll as a result of that mm. that's still at least a couple of years away because these commissions or these inquiries do not happen very quickly. No, they don't. And I also think as well, one of the other questions I would ask is how long does it take for cultural change to exist? Like, is it a, is it a life Ooh. cycle of a career? Like, what's the life cycle of a career? 40 years? Yeah. In Defence Forces, I think that do we think think less. pension within 30 years yeah. of Defence Forces. So, okay, yeah. so, but so would we estimate then that it would nearly take the full life cycle of a career, like a cohort, a generation to pass through the system before there's real change? Or well, we, can't, we don't have that time. We don't have that time. We don't yeah. have that time. We don't have enough people in the Defence Forces for it to actually sustain self from the get-go. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, I mean, waiting for a couple of decades to pass to try and make it a place where people should be proud to work in and people feel safe to work in, that's not going to cause the mustard, like. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Pope has been spotted, uh, or not spotted. <laughs> it just depends on what It was like we, the news bullet at the start of The Simpsons or something like that. Like, you know, the Pope has been spotted. I would say about the Pope, I feel like I never mention it. Um, yes, you're, you're <laughs> pal the Pope. My yeah. friend, the Pope. Um, Richard, what is going on with this? What's actually happening? So I'm almost certain that the majority of the people who are listening to this podcast will have seen a photograph of Pope Francis looking absolutely class, class, mm. class in a very sleek white winter puffer, sort of like a Montclair sort of jacket. Yeah. Um, looking great. Chic, I would looking say. Great. Looking great. Looking great. Fair play to Like, a, like a, a padded, like knee length Arsene Wenger coat, if that's yes. a reference that might work for people. <laughs> Vatican Goose, if you want to put it, call it out like this. <laughs> Very <I suppose>. good. <laughs> yeah. um, but the problem is, it's not real. And this is the latest thing to have come from uh, online AI image generators like Midjourney and Dolly or Dali, I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, that has fooled a lot of people and people who genuinely, I didn't know if, I actually, I did not know if this is real or fake. I was going to say that a lot of people who no doubt are listening or watching and will have seen the picture may not have realised that it is artificial because it's so well done. The only giveaway other than the slight implausibility of the Pope wearing a coat like that. But it's kind of, <laughs> this is why it's a really interesting example to get into because it's at that sweet spot of things which I've are... I've never seen the Pope wearing like an actual coat though fake, now that you but, think of it. Fake, but but kind of plausible. That like, if it's a chilly morning or in the Vatican that you might be wearing a kind but of has coat. Has he ever like worn a coat? But Have you ever the, seen him wear a coat? The only giveaway is that if you look very closely at his right hand, mm-hmm. he's holding a coffee cup like this. And to be fair, I, I can't imagine that... Pope Francis Good has to stop by his local, his local cafeteria spot to go and get his cortado or his medium dark mocha I also he goes about his day's work, mm. you know. I reckon he'd be a keep cup man. To be fair. Well, would, if he's in Rome, you're, you're normally drinking your coffee at the counter standing up. You wouldn't really be taking it to go with you either. So there you go. That's how we should have fixed it. I can't even believe <laughs> like, is, is, is that line in The Simpsons? <laughs> Authorities say the phony Pope could be recognised by his high top sneakers <laughs> and his foul mouth. Um, but the problem is with this, this is quite funny and the image is quite, is, is quite mad to look at. But there is a real life implication on this, which is going to be quite concerning from for people in our profession yeah. and from mm-hmm. the public's point of view going forward, is that what can you actually trust uh, from what your eyes can see? Mm. And the answer now is increasingly little. Um, the implications of this are that you can falsify absolutely anything using AI generators, which are going to get better and better and better. And that goes for video too, which is also getting better and better and better in Mm -hmm. terms of AI generated stuff. So you can falsify, actually, good case in point, Donald Trump, um, over the last couple of weeks, people were making AI generated images of him being arrested, Mm. which were again taken as gospel to follow on from a Pope analogy. Mm. um, And people were sharing them as like, this is a disgrace. They're arresting Donald Trump. Mm. Let's get to arms and defend him. Even as a thought experiment, there were people giving examples of how this could be uh, used for international disinformation in the future. So uh, somebody as a thought experiment, just to prove how it could work, asked one of those image generators mid-journey to show um, evidence of war crimes in Irpin. Yeah. And mm. what it produced were four images which if you, you know, if you recognised the skyline, if you were doing any kind of deep dive into it, you'd have a little bit of trouble to be able to disprove that it that it was real because it was a very, very accurate looking, produced what credibly looks like civilian graves in front of an Irpin skyline. And at first glance, you'd go, yeah, but so mustard. We now live in an age where seeing is no longer believing then. Yeah, uh, it's going to well, be... Well, unless you see it in the flesh, I guess. Like now we're, we're, it's only things you see in person that you can really take for 
that's the thing. I think that's the worrying mm. thing about it, Sarah, is that like, first of all, you can manufacture anything now in terms of imagery, but also it creates the reverse of that almost in that if you have high quality photojournalists who are going to places, let's take Ukraine again for an example, or anywhere in the world, and they're documenting war crimes or an invasion by a foreign country or anything, that now the automatic response to these things can be, that's AI generated. Mm. And the speed at which these things are advancing as well. Like It's only less than two months since we had uh, Robert Ross of, of TUD uh, on the podcast to talk about um, chat GPT and some of the things that that text-based version of AI could do. And even that's been kind of superseded because then they've updated, they've released a new generation of chat GPT in the meantime, which can perform tasks with very little input with an astonish, astonishing level of capability. You can say, like, write me a script that tweets uh, every time that a radio station plays a song by Oasis or something. And it, it can do you the job mm. in like 10 or 15 seconds. And the ability to automate all these things, like the, they're advancing at such an astonishing rate that it's very difficult to imagine any industry, including, as you said, the likes of ours, that wouldn't be disrupted by it. Like It's foreseeable that before too long, even having reporters out in the field might be unnecessary because you could very competently generate a, an avatar that's delivering the information to you without needing to send you or me or anyone else out to a, a site to report on an issue, you know? Yes. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've said this before. I've said this run. before. I, say, I find the AI thing just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, what did you make of the Gwyneth Paltrow case? Just for anyone who's not totally familiar with this, um, Gwyneth Paltrow is in court. Um, she's being sued by Terry Sanderson, a 76-year-old retired optometrist, um, for crashing into him in Utah in 2016 on while the skis, skiing. Yeah. Um, and now she's countersuing him for $1.00. Uh, saying Mr. Sanderson Class. hit her. Um, it is has a new. Wa- it's not quite. Wa- it's not quite. Waggett's it, Christie. It's it? not. It's, no. it's close though. It uh, is, is close it though? though. It's close though in particular because obviously Waggett had a big resonance in the UK and Ireland because it was a lot closer. Yeah. Whereas this has taken on legs a little bit more internationally. In I would say so. In the states, you have a lot of coverage of this, and I think in some ways it's good low stakes stuff to just watch and like there's highlights of it and some of it is quite interesting because um, there will be me- it's probably the most memeable trial that's ever taken place mm-hmm. it's quite memeable like you have like um, this lawyer who is absolutely blown away by the fact that she is cross-examining Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's so obvious and she's like how tall are you and oh I'm, I'm, I'm fi- I wish I was 5'5 five five and I wish I had your heels and all that sort of stuff and Gwyneth's just it's, like oh thank you it's a very small bit away from like does that goop product really smell like the thing that it claims to smell like? Like, it's that level of, like, bashful adoration. It's the, the, really not what you expect in a courtroom. Does the, Gwen not look like she's totally bored, though, by the whole thing? It's it's very interesting to watch, actually, Zara, I think, okay. um, because, like, she, she delivered a line there the other day um, in sort of, like, in terms of how she was affected by this, and she says, well, I lost half a day of skiing, uh, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I saw it. She delivers it so dry. Yeah, it is. I think it's that's like, what it is about. So it's bored. I love the articles that are like uh, billionaire chic, the meaning of Gwyneth Paltrow's courtroom wardrobe. Like, it's just... It's apparently the minimalism, ridiculous. isn't it? It's apparently meant to be... Yeah, I think that seems to, to be it. That it's not too flashy and there's not that many labels, but actually underneath it all, they're like very expensive sort of... Um, independent designers and stuff like that. So she's obviously using the opportunity to platform some up-and-coming designers. What I quite like about the whole thing, though, is, and it's it's a weird thing to analyse, but because it's it's in a run-of-the-mill courtroom and it's not as well lit as the sorts of studios that you would ordinarily see Gwyneth Paltrow in. Utah, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, so so that it's all just so sort of dimly lit and all the, the legal types are all wearing, like, Lionel Hutz sort of, like, level of outfits where, like, they're not... 
it, it's just so weird to see somebody who lives in the sort of ecosphere that Gwyneth in a well-lit nicely mm. shot world yeah okay. and, and everyone around him being so immaculately presented that's just in such an ordinary like regular municipal building in some random town in whatever random state it is yeah like it's really jarring just to see the ordinariness of it all it is kind of mad isn't it though it is yeah but I mean it's good it's, it'll be good entertainment for, for the generation that it's on um, before we move on from this I actually, um, well, we're just sort of talking about random things that have happened. Obviously today, um, people will have heard the news that Paul O'Grady, um, mm. also known as Lily Savage, died. And while we're talking about celebrities and all that sort of stuff, in terms of the impact that Paul O'Grady, Lily Savage actually had, uh, there's an anecdote which I was reading today about how when um, Paul was performing as Lily Savage in the Vauxhall, which is a gay club in London, um, at the height of the AIDS scare, mm. um, the homophobia throughout the Metropolitan Police and police services generally around the world were dreadful at that time. Yeah. So the police raided this place because it was on a late, late at night. All the police came in in rubber gloves and Paul O'Grady has told the story multiple times about how uh, he delivered a timeless quip of basically like, well look, we, we have help with the washing up. Um, and just this, this healthy disrespect for authority that was there uh, and just the incredible leadership because it was very rare that people even saw drag acts on the BBC yeah. in mainstream yeah. entertainment. Yeah. I just think that Paul O'Grady was just an incredible ambassador uh, totally. did incredible stuff with the platform that yeah. he had. And to, to think that the the sort of tolerance that resulted from the work of Lily Savage stroke Paul O'Grady um, at a time when that sort of act wasn't seen on mainstream tea time television on, on national terrestrial channels versus now where drag is even just seen as being an inherently politicised thing and where drag acts merely existing in any public space are now subject to there being some sort of political debate about whether it's appropriate for that kind of audience. Like to think that uh, Lily Savage was able to encourage such tolerance and acceptance on mainstream television at a time when there was just a lot less tolerance for minorities in society is an incredible achievement. And I think that it would be remiss even in the present day if you liked the Paul O'Grady show or if you watched For the Love of Dogs oh. mm-hmm. regularly broadcast what a great media. I know you're a dog man Richard yeah. um, the pe- people will love the modern day Paul O'Grady work but people will maybe lose sight of just how impactful the Lily Savage work was and that it's something that's really worth remembering for The musical stylings of Flawna's Riley, they're accompanied by Gavin Riley. Yeah, that is very adorable. She's, she's the, the shift so to my cute. Logan. Um, and what I like about that is that it kind of sounds, like if you know the Succession theme tune, there's the kind of percussion behind it, that it sort of sounds like her little toy piano at oh, my feet. So kind of like the percussion that kicks in. Is she, what is she, 18 nice. months now? She is. Eight, she was 18 months last week, yeah. Gav, she's just yeah. gorgeous, like so cute. Yeah. I, will she absolutely be doing piano lessons from the moment? Uh, for, from, from the <laughs> moment it is possible. As, as early as she's able to learn the alphabet and can figure out that there's seven notes in the scale. I yeah. really want, we should get Gav to get like a keyboard in here some week, right? Just do a musical episode. I was just going to say, would we do a musical episode like maybe as a bonus Christmas special. We can have a sing-along. We love a sing-along, me and him. We'll sing along. And well, you from, from the videos that you've sent me in the past. He's, so. <laughs> he's like, do we love a sing-along? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you, when you guys were flatmates, uh, I would occasionally get videos of you guys participating in sing-alongs. We did love yeah. a sing-along. Succession. Um, I've ah. never seen Succession. This, I have to this, own that. This I'm is so sorry. Baffling. But what? Where, how, where how, does one get it, though? Where is it? Uh, well, one would see it on certain online or TV channels, which are competitors to the one that we're currently broadcasting. Ah, but look, tell us where we get it. Where do you get it? It's on Atlantic. Okay, uh, yeah. Or you can I watch it on that. TV. Um, but 
even like it's it's around like it's on some streaming like it just yeah you have to make a point of going and track it down so the it, how many it is, seasons has it been so far so this is the, the beginning of the fourth season yeah. and it will fourth be the and last final. one fourth okay. and final season which is great in its own way because it feels like that there might be there is scope for it to run for many more seasons and often big lush dramas like this sometimes get milked for more seasons than they could probably warrant I think it feels like Succession probably could have run for another couple of years, mm-hmm. but they've decided to just try and just kind of go out strong. Just go out strong, which which is great. And and the fourth season, no spoilers because you haven't watched any of it and you haven't seen the first. I haven't episode. started yet. No, it, it starts very nicely. Have you finished the whole season now? Well, the, oh, no, it's it, only one. It, it's oh, they're only going been week, week by week. By week. Oh, so it's not week. like a Netflix bulk. I love a bit of old school yeah. week by week. I have to say, I think it's great. Yeah, like it does, it's great I love a binge of something when it's first dumped, but I do think that there's nothing like the buzz of the week by week. Well, now would be something. an ideal time if you want to get into it because there are twenty nine or thirty episodes across the first three seasons, oh. and if you started to binge on them now, you would be catching up at around the time of coming up to the full finale because this this last season is nine or ten episodes, so it'll be going for another couple of months be a really good time to get into it. Do you know what I watched last night actually it was um, the documentary by Spencer Matthews Finding Michael. Have yeah. you heard of it? It's the mm. one about it. It's very it? good. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It's actually know. very, very good. I have to say I was, I had seen a lot of people talking about it online and I watched it last night. It is so beautifully made. It is um, executive produced by Bear Grylls who's actually kind of friends with Spencer Matthews. Like he, kind of, he, he went to visit a school one time to talk about climbing Everest and, and Spencer kind of put his hand up and said, my brother did that. And actually his brother, for people who don't know, his brother Michael Matthews was the youngest um, Britain to climb Everest and reach the top. And then he died actually mm-hmm. and his body was never recovered. So the whole documentary is all about the kind of the pursuit to, to find that. But actually it was really, really good, like very moving. And I won't give anything away, but it was definitely worth the watch. So you watch anything good? Uh, I've been watching the Republic of Ireland uh, <laughs> multiple times, yeah. uh, and um, I wrote down in the notes for the list what I wanted to talk about was Evan Ferguson at some point. So I just wanted to throw the mention in there for yeah, Evan Ferguson. Do. There yeah, you go. go on. Uh, oh, so a yeah, Bo- a Bose man and a Mead man. But so, there's been a lot of controversy about Virgin Media sports coverage of the of Republic of Ireland. For, so, uh, something about sitting in this room. That undue negativity annoyed. about yeah. the um, about the, the the managerial stylings of one Stephen Kenny. Which is, uh, it's great. It's good to have counterpoints and, and, uh, and arguments It's a results things. business, Richard. Oh, I'll tell you. Results business. The results are going to start coming now. Things are about to turn around. But actually, Tommy Martin of this parish was making the point online because uh, people have, have turned on our own beloved Brian Kerr uh, as a result of his opinions about Stephen Kenny and about football and about how he played and all that sort of well, stuff. What, what are his opinions? Sorry. He basically says Stephen Kenny, he says there's nothing to be proud of really about Ireland losing to France and that we were meant to be getting results. But didn't we play well or something? Well, I mean, France is the best. Okay. Like, France were a penalty shootout away from retaining the World Cup a couple Mm. of months ago. They Mm. won the one previous to last and only lost the final penalty. So they're quite good. Okay. And the idea that we, we ought to have gotten a draw against them but for some astonishing goalkeeping at the tail end of the match like getting a home draw against a team that are as good as France. Listen, we're going to the Euros and and then we're going to the World Cup. I was just going to say, again, as someone on the periphery who doesn't have a clue, this... Guy Evan is like 18 or something and is like is. the great hope of the team. He is. And I think there's been actually, there's so much talk about sport recently, obviously because Ireland won the Grand Slam. Uh, Evan Ferguson is, with the exception of actually uh, Rashida Adeleke, is probably the bright young thing in Irish sport at the moment. So Rashida Adeleke. And a Adeleke, And a former Bozeman. I, I, was, I saw his Thank debut at the age of 14. No? You were there at that, that, scene, <laughs> that uh, friendly with Chelsea? Yes, friendly with Chelsea. came out at 14. There was so much talk about him because he, he was getting games for the first team in, at Bose at 15. And everybody was like, this is weird. You can't be putting him in. This is an ordinary 15-year-old. And he has shown it. And I just, I'm very excited to see where his career goes. Same with Rashid Adeleke, of course, who'll be running in Paris in the Olympics next year. Potentially might win us a medal. So look, I mean, Exciting. we're just in an exciting time for sport. I'm just loving the vibes. The vibes in Irish sport have never been as positive as right now. No, I totally agree. Yeah, no, in fairness, and the it's Irish a good time. Run the rule on WrestleMania this weekend. There you go. Oh yeah, look, 
Big Shamo. Next week. Watch all Big Shamo, who wants to be on the podcast, Watch. I hear. Shameless, if you're watching, we're open seat for you, buddy. Uh, come in next week and we'll talk all about Mania. What a bombshell. Uh, highlights of that in Virgin Media 2, weekend mornings at 10.30. Okay, well, before we go, I want to tell you, I actually didn't even tell both of you this before we came on air. I met a lovely girl called Alice who listens to the podcast. I met her in M&S last week. Love that. <laughs> and I, t- I promised her we would say hello to her because uh, she is an avid fan of everyone and uh, she's very, very sweet. And I met her with her sister. So thank you for coming to say hello and we're delighted that you enjoyed the podcast. I feel like if you gave us advance notice of that, we could have done a whole Who the Blank is Alice routine. So I did, Rob. I do apologise for that. I okay. do apologise. Uh, okay, well, that's it. We're out of time. Good week. Great week. Great, great week. week. Great week. Listen, I'm loving this. We're just more casual. I'm into it. The casual vibes are good. Um, join us again next week. You can get all of the updates on our social media. If you have anything you'd like to talk about as usual, you can get in touch. We're very accessible. Big feedback actually the last episode. There was actually. Mm. Enjoyed that. Love love the DMs. Slide into the DMs, guys, and tell us what you think. Um, I have been news correspondent Sarah King. This has been news correspondent Richard Chambers. I have been, yeah. <laughs> Political correspondent Gavin Ryan. I am very much a has-been. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.